In this hour, we'll take your calls with Mac Maloney as we talk about secret bases, UFOs, and all this other great stuff on Coast to Coast AM. And welcome back, George Norrie, along with Mac Maloney. Your calls as well. What has been the reaction to the Wingman series, Mac? Uh, well, um, you know, it's it's been positive since um, you know the series started. People love, um, you know, jet fighters and and pilots are kind of supersized. And as I said before, Top Gun has um, I was able to ride that wave when the first Top Gun came out, and then uh, also when the uh, latest Top Gun came out too. So. Just have a lot, a lot of fans that have stuck with me over the years. It's really surprising when you think about it, about a, a million and a half books. That is, books. that's amazing. That, that I'm sold. Your publisher, who's the name of your publisher? I've had so many during the years. Uh, you know, Zebra Books is what started Kensington Books. They were like my, um, they were like my relatives for a long time. And your agent that, is um, based out of where? New York. Out of New York, yeah, New York City. Yep. Mine is a uh, David Vigliano. Mm-hmm. You know him? Uh, I've heard the name. Yep. Good guy. But, Good um, guy. I had the same agent for 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 a while, and um, uh, you know uh, we're friends. We've known each other for so long. We're like friends now. Of everything you've written about, uncovered, what do you find to be the most fascinating? Um, well, I, you know, the, the first book I did in this, in kind of the paranormal. Um, Genre was uh, UFOs in wartime, which we've talked about before. That came out in 2011, right? Mm -hmm. And that just came once again from from a lunch I was having with my editor, and I told him that you know, for years I wondered why it seemed like UFOs were seen more often during uh, wartime. Um, And is it because there's airplanes in the air, more eyes in the sky, more people looking up? You know, who knows? And he says that sounds like a good idea for a nonfiction book. I had never written a nonfiction book before. Uh, so we did that. And uh, it turned out way more work than I thought, but I really liked the um, the result, and that sold very well. And, and what, what really fascinated me about that is that there were so many reports, especially during World War II, of the Foo Fighters. The Foo Fighters, that's right. Um, small, not, small little objects, yeah, right? Following, you know, actually, this objects of all sizes, but a lot of them were kind of like uh, lightning balls, balls of lightning following airplanes to and from bombing missions all the way right up to classic UFOs. But they were always just watching. They never joined in. They never you know, took any sides or anything. They were always just kind of watching us and um, watching the battles and so on. And that made me think that, you know, maybe these are just basically time tourists, people from our future coming back to see history being made, you know. Mm, that's, um, that's possible. You know, who knows? But that stuck with me ever since I've written that book. And uh, in Vietnam, pilots reported seeing a lot of UFOs. Oh, yeah, right, yeah. In Korea, too. Korea had a lot of UFO reports, and uh, Vietnam, for, for sure. Uh, the first Gulf War, people were seeing UFOs. But, but once again, there's a lot of stuff flying around up there, especially during wartime. And, you know, some of it just could be secret weapons stuff that um, someone on the ground might not recognize. But uh, they're not all secret weapons. Something else is happening, usually during battles or during war. Kenneth Arnold, who coined the phrase flying saucers back in 1947, his granddaughter has contacted us. And mm. She's putting together a catalog of his works and his stories. Yeah. He's the guy who started it all. And, um, yep. you know, what he saw was uh, they said, uh, you know, flying saucers is what uh, the, the press, you know, kind of 
coined that term, but what he really saw, said was sausage skipping across That's right. the pond, and they were actually boomerang-shaped. And then we had the Roswell crash right after that. Yep, two weeks later. Yep, and, and during those two weeks, people were seeing reporting you know, flying saucers everywhere. Everywhere, suddenly people were seeing everything because people were suddenly looking up or something, you know. But he started it all. Interesting guy. Let's go to the phones as they line up for you. We'll start by going to AC in Cleveland, Ohio, east of the Rockies. Hey, AC, thanks for calling. Hello, George, and hello, Mac. Hi there. Uh, At the beginning of the program, Mac, you talked about a secret base, Israeli base, at Megiddo. Uh And... The Valley of Megiddo was termed by Napoleon as the ideal battlefield, and that's where we get the word Armageddon. Right, from yes. The Book of Revelation, chapter 16, verse 16. Okay? Right. Yep. Now, the question was asked, George, why are there so many sightings around Area 51? Mm-hmm. Well, people need to use their heads. Maybe the UFOs are coming out of there instead of just going in there. That's a good possibility. Go ahead. What do you think of that, Mac? Well, you know, uh, again, you know, people have seen, it's a secret air base, so you're going to see secret stuff flying around. There's no doubt about it. But uh, people who have, um, you know, have worked there or know what's going on there, you know, supposedly you can go to certain places right around the border of, Area 51, it's a very expensive place, and see stuff flying around there that doesn't look like it was manufactured here on Earth. One of the things they do at Area 51 is they have captured, uh, at the Area 51 and other places too, they have captured Soviet, I mean Russian-made fighters, and they fly them out of there, and they dogfight with our fighters, and that's how our pilots train. So if people see a MiG-21 flying over, a piece of Nevada, yeah, that kind of makes sense. But if they see, it makes sense in a strange way, but if they see something that looks more like a UFO flying saucer, then, you know, I guess you have to ask the question, why is it here? Let's go back to AC and make sure he's done. AC, any more questions? Yes. Well, the Manhattan Project was a historical example of misinformation. The Russians were fooled that the atom bomb was a super incendiary. And it's interesting that you said that the uh, Catholic Church wants people to believe in UFOs. And yet, you know, Jesus gave us seven words of warning, take heed that no man deceive you. And we're not hearing the Catholic Church say that. Nope. So there's a lot to think about here. There's, you know, an agenda that could be for a purpose to get people to believe in this, and some future event could happen where this will come in handy. Mac, is this something nefarious, these sightings? Yeah, it, it, it's hard to say. Um, I mean, there are, there, you can count on one hand um, stories from about UFOs being uh, aggressive, you know, um, there's stories down in Brazil one night that UFOs attacked uh, an island off the coast of Brazil and that the Brazilian military actually fought back. Um, there's a story in the Gulf War where the UFO supposedly fired an F-16, which then fired at it. But 
you take those just few examples and you hold them up against all the just you know, thousands, tens of thousands of UFO reports where UFOs aren't doing anything other than, as I said before, just kind of watching us, looking in on us. Um, so I don't know if they're nefarious, but they're, they're sure mysterious. Joe in the Bronx, take it away, Joseph. How are you? Okay, Joey. Thanks. Good. Good. Uh, Mac, um, now, I have a question about the Havana Syndrome, which is a loud noise that's been sickening people in the area. Uh-huh. Uh, and I believe uh, there are other areas in the world uh, that have a similar uh, type of, well, uh, weapon, uh, possibly. Um, also, my second question is Mount Shasta. Could de- could E.T. be hidden in Mount Shasta, the side of a mountain? Interesting. Um you know, I'll take the second question first. Mount Shasta is a place where uh, I believe it's where if, if there is some kind of a nuclear confrontation that a lot of the government would um, wind up there. Is that Mount Shasta, the one you're talking about? Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Um, well, once again, if they're going to hide anything, you know, why not, you know, why not hide it there, you know? Um, um, it, it could be any place. If ET is around, it, it, it could be any place. But I, I really don't think that we have possession of an ET or pots or a flying saucer or so on, because I think we'd be living in a we'd be living in a different world. You know, we'd be living in we'd have jetpacks and stuff. It'd be more like the Jetsons. And and just the fact that the U.S. government has come out, as we said before, Judge, you know, they've come out and said we don't know what these things are. You know, that's a big step. Of course, what do you think happened at Roswell, Mac? I don't think anything. I don't want to be that guy at the party, but I don't think anything happened. Huh. I think it was a, uh, you know, a, an observation balloon, actually a, a secret balloon that uh, part of a, a program that they were launching these balloons with uh, audio devices that would uh, drift over Russia to see if the Russians uh, were exploding nuclear weapons by picking up the audio, the noise of a nuclear weapon going off. I mean, that's really... You know, they had been doing it for a long time. We've had uh, this uh, gentleman on our show a number of times, Dr. Bob Gross, and he just simply explains that what they found there was mylar, which is what weather balloons are made out of. Plus, there was rope found in the debris field, and it's just hard for me to believe that, you know, the occupants of a UFO would have rope. And that mylar material is what gave it that impression that it just folded back into yes. mi- into place, the yep. material. Yep. Exactly, yes. Interesting. All right, thanks, Joe. Appreciate you being part of the program. Norm in St. Louis, take it away, Norm. Hello, gentlemen. Hi there. Good. I got a uh, kind of a question and then a comment. You got it. Uh, the question is, uh, I want to say it was back in maybe 2008, 10, something like that, but uh, over uh, the Dome of the Rock in uh, Jerusalem, they had a UFO that was... Uh, kind of suspended in the air, maybe a quarter mile up, and then it slowly zoomed down to about 200 foot above the Dome of the Rock, and it stayed there about 30 seconds, and then it zipped off super fast. That was a great story. And there was hundreds of tours there, and, you know, so they all had different cameras going. I'm talking like two or 300 people that had had seen it. I was wondering if you knew anything about that, and then second... As far as the nefarious part of it, I, I think the opposite. I think I don't. I'm not saying they're like angels. I think they're different than angels. But I, it always seems like UFOs are around wars, nuclear plants, 
uh, military bases. I think God sends them here to kind of intervene. I think they're observing. What do you think, Mac? Mac, you with us? No, oh, we lost Mac, so let's call him back. And we'll get him back. Let's go back to some of the calls. UFO Jim. UFO Jim, welcome to the show, Jim. Well, hi, George. It's a pleasure to talk to you, you again. Too. You too. I got oh, your letters, uh, by the way. Expo. Thank you. Oh, you did get the letters. We got them. They got to me. Well, that's exactly what I'm. <laughs> that's exactly what I'm calling you about tonight. Uh, I think it's uh, part of the supernatural uh, thing that I'm uh, contacting you about. Uh, the last one of the last letters I sent you was uh, in the uh, oh uh, about Stonehenge uh, around the solstice, the winter solstice. Yes, a few weeks ago. Yep. Yep, got and that. I, I mentioned that I felt that something was going on about Stonehenge, and now I guess I got my answer. I suspect that there was UFO activity at that base there that's close by to Stonehenge. Uh, probably. I had no knowledge of Stonehenge being a, anywhere near a base, but uh, I knew, even though it was embarrassing writing you that letter, that something was up there. Nah, there never be embarrassed to write us a letter. Don't be embarrassed. Mac, you back with us? Yes, there were actually uh, yeah two kind of secret bases right near Stonehenge, you know. So once again, it's the question: is that just a coincidence, or you know, or not? And I never believe in coincidences. Yeah, me neither. Everything's done for a purpose. These bases, though, are, I mean, do they actually think they can hide them from people? Uh, well, not hide the base itself, but hide what they're doing. Inside the base is, you know, what they're always trying to do, and uh, you know, it it gets more difficult as uh, as we go, as the days go on because you know now you have you know spy drones and ways that you can shoot electronic beams at a at a location and, and, and intercept all the radio, uh, you know, that's going on in there and intercept you know what's going on in the computer. So the the whole idea is just to keep layering on the security so no one. So it makes it hard for them to find out exactly what you're doing behind closed doors, kind of. Let's go to Keith in Dallas, Texas. Welcome to the show. Hey, Keith, go ahead. Hey, thanks, George. And, sure. Uh, Mac, I had a question for you concerning um, the breakaway civilization theory. Uh, George has had some guests that have talked a little bit about this in the past, just the idea that um, some groups control the very advanced technology that accounts for at least some of the UFO sightings and that perhaps um, these groups have their origins at the end of World War II, which would have been shortly before the Roswell incident, um, and consisted largely of German scientists that survived you know, the fall of the Third Reich, and perhaps also Soviet scientists, and most definitely American mm-hmm. um, aeronautical engineers and scientists beyond Werner von Braun, beyond him. I mean, he might have just been the tip of the iceberg, but is it possible that something like that exists in your mind, that, that, that these secretive groups could control some of the bases and that they could be so compartmentalized that not even the top brass of the top militaries in the world know about it. Where would they be operating from? Is it the Nevada desert? Is it Antarctica? Is it possibly lunar bases? You know, uh, the guest earlier was talking about the moon. So what do you think about that breakaway civilization theory? And if that could account for some of the UFOs or some of the secret bases? 
Well, you know, I, I, as I said before, never say never, but I, I go back to what you said, you know, where would they be coming from? I mean, these days, every square inch of the Earth is covered by Google Earth by, and by, you know, the government satellites as well. So, you know, where would you have a base and where would you have the logistics and how would you feed the people who lived at the base and where would you get the fuel and how could these things take off without people not seeing them and and not being spotted on radar and things like that. Um, uh, but once again, you know, never say never, because things happened right after World War II. You had the ghost rockets of uh, 1946, where it looked like what we call cruise missiles these days were flying over Sweden. I mean, the, the Swedish Air Force pilots flew right next to these things. They looked like Tomahawk missiles from 40 years in the future. Um, um, you know, and, and I was very close to... Uh, Pinamunde, where they used to uh, shoot off the V1 and V2 rocket. So, uh, you know, who knows? You know, I just think there's some big somewhere out there, hopefully not too far in the future. You know, we're going to find out the answer to all of this. And, you know, maybe what the answer is is going to startle us all. And we, it, it, it's something that we never even thought of. You know, who knows? I just hope we're all still around when it happens. Could there be bases that we don't even know about? Or is that impossible with this technology these days? I think it's impossible. I really do, because, you know, they they cover, unless they're, you know, deep, deep, deep in the ocean of the uh, South Pacific or something like that. Uh, other than that, and even that is, is covered by uh, uh, this uh, network that the U.S. Navy has, covers all the uh, oceans around the world, listening to a submarine. So, and even on the moon, I mean, um, there's a Japanese satellite that's been orbiting the moon for years, and you can go online and look at it, and every square inch of the moon has been mapped and photographed. So there's nothing really up there. So um, if there is some kind of secret breakaway civilization, and why? You know, why Why would they want to do it? I mean, this, this world's a mess. They're not doing us any good. Um, who knows? Mac, we're going to come back in just a moment and take final phone calls with you right here on Coast to Coast AM. On our next Coast to Coast program, my guest will be Sidney Ross Singer, who believes that some of our favorite foods are riddled with neurotoxins. We'll talk about that. And then later on, Scott Mitchell joins us with his belief that aliens are truly fallen angels. So make sure you're part of the program. And welcome back to Coast to Coast. George Norrie with you, Mac Maloney with us in your final calls as we talk about his incredible work. Mac, where do people get your series of books? What's the best place? Well, the best place is um, Amazon, to tell you the truth. I mean, they're at bookstores all around the country, but these days Amazon is the place to go. Type in your name and all of the books show up, don't they? Yes, they do. Yep. 50 plus? I'm sorry? 50 plus books already? It's actually uh, 63. 60? What did you do, count them during the break? Uh, I think, yeah, I had to. It took me a while. I needed to calculate it. But, yeah, yes. Um, and once again, I, as I said before, yeah, I've been lucky to, to uh, be able to uh, write that many books and have them published and to make my living at it. Very prolific. How long does it take you to write one book? Well, it's a good question. Usually, uh, I usually do two a year. So, you know, five or six, four or five months, and then take a month off to research the next one. Do you travel when you write, or do you do it at home? What do you do? It mostly at home. Yep, do it mostly at home because it's where it's fiction books mostly, with the Wingman series. Um, you know, I can just sit here and make it up, if you know what I mean. Do you have like a special writing room there? Uh, yes, I do. Yep, 
I do. I'm in it right now, and it's uh, it's very cluttered and messy, but it's you know where everything gets done. It's and it's comfortable though. It's yours. Very comfortable. Yes. Good yes. for you. Let's take some final calls here. Let's go to Bill in Los Angeles to get us started. Hey, Bill, go ahead. Oh, hi, George. Uh, Mac, uh, I'm a former journalist, uh, and I like your journalistic objectivity on these matters. And I'd like to get your take on a, a – there was a guest that George had recently who speculated that the Tic Tac craft is either black box, so-called black box U.S. technology or foreign technology. And I, I've got a problem with both those theories in that I think if we had such uh, transmedium craft in 2004 that could do 58,000 miles per hour huh. and reverse – and reverse on their trajectories that we'd have conquered our enemies by now. And they would have done the same, I think, if that were Chinese or Russian. And, and we wouldn't be wasting time on conventional weapons like F-22s. So what's your take on the Tic Tac craft? Well, I, I agree with you 100 uh, percent in that uh, these the first Tic Tac video was taken in 2004. And uh, now there we go. This is 20 years ago. This, who had the technology back then? And as you say, why, if we had that kind of technology back then, why would we be going through this whole kind of charade of launching stuff from Cape Canaveral and spending millions and millions of dollars to, to get stuff up into orbit? Um, I don't think they are our uh, technology because, once again, and we talk about this on the show a lot, I go about it on the show a lot, is that if they were, let's say they were blind to the CIA, this in, in, fantastic type of aircraft, they would not tell the U.S. Navy. I mean, it's U.S. Navy pilots who are seeing these things, taking video of them and so on. Um, but so why? The CAA can't tell the Navy, hey, this is our stuff, and kind of keep it cool. And as you said, it can't be our enemy stuff because if they had that technology 20 years ago, they would have conquered us by now. So if you eliminate all those things, I think what's remaining is that we don't know what the heck it is it's from out of from other planets, other dimensions, from the future, who knows? But I think it's obvious no one really knows what these things are. What is your latest book, War of the Dragons, all about, Mac? Uh, it's a, um, you know, it's a novel. It's the 22nd book in the Wingman series, and uh, basically they've uh, found out that there are uh, six uh, uh, nuclear um, time bombs set around the, country, around the world, and they have to um, find them and defuse them all in a week before uh, there's kind of like a catastrophic environmental disaster. One of those type of books. Six of them. That's how that, you know what, that's pretty realistic too, you know. Yeah, no, too realistic. Yeah, scary times. Next up, Joe Monterey, California. Hello, Joseph. Go ahead. Thank you for taking my call, Thank George. you, Joe. Thanks for holding on. Um, yes, I, uh, a long time ago we had reports about uh, Chupacabra. And I was wondering, uh, because I, you know, you hear things, uh, you know, people talk about different things, and someone said that there was a, um, a secret base uh, underground or underwater secret base off of Puerto Rico, and, and, they, and the Chupacabra was made uh, genetically from that base. And now, um, it's interesting because there's a lot of remote viewers, and I'm sure that there are remote viewers that would probably answer some of the questions that you didn't have any answers for. And the government does have an incredible remote viewing program, uh, some of the best in the world. Uh, what do you think about uh, underground, uh, underwater bases? Um, I think that there's a, there's a good chance that there are um, 
Yeah, underwater bases, Frank, I got to tell you, that would, that would take a lot of construction and take a lot of logistics to create an underwater base. But I will say this, is that that place where you mentioned in Puerto Rico is a real hotspot for UFOs. And they've been seeing them down there for a long time. It's very close to a, um, a bombing range that the U.S. Air Force, so I think the Navy has down there, lots of UFO activity. And the, and, and the, the Chupacabaga, as I can't pronounce that, but that creature that you talked about just seemed to show up right at the same time, you know. So I'm not sure. Underground bases, I can see. Underwater bases would be just very, very hard to do. That said, a lot of people see UFOs coming out of the ocean. Yeah, I mean, submersible yeah. UFOs, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So um, if something's coming out of the ocean and going under the ocean, I got a chance, I got a feeling it's probably not ours, it's somebody else's. Luann's with us in Missoula, Montana, west of the Rockies. Hello, Luann. Hi. I just wanted to know if uh, he knew if Davilo Pass was anywhere near that. Oh, no, I can't remember. It's Kaposhra or something or other. <laughs> that base in Russia. Uh, Kapustinya, yes. Um, what what can was you the tell question us? again, please? I just wanted to know if you knew if they were close, kind of close to each other. Uh, they were about um, uh, not that close, to tell you the truth. Uh, Yar is like right between, it's, it's to the about 500 miles east of the Ukraine. And uh, M Triangle is in the Ural Mountains, which is uh, uh, more to the north and more, I believe, to uh, to the west. And Russia probably has more than just those two bases. They have a place, too. Yeah, they have a, a mountain that's kind of close to uh, Kapustinya that they, it's the same thing as we were talking about Mount Chasta, where they just caught out this mountain range. And uh, there are rumors that they can fit as many as 50,000 people there. That's the place where Putin and, you know, the part of the Russian government would go if there was some kind of a nuclear exchange. So, they have lots of underground bases. We have lots of underground bases. I mean, these days, underground is definitely the way to go. You have a book called The God Satellite? Right. That was another Russ, a book in a series I do called Name Starman, where um, he's a military detective that has just a little bit of ESP. So he handles all the kind of X-File cases that the Navy gives him. And one of them is uh, there's a satellite up in orbit that uh, no one knows uh, who launched it or how long it's been up there, and he has to find out. Of your 63 books, Mac, how many are fiction, nonfiction? Uh, let's see. Uh, five of them are nonfiction. The rest of them are, are novels. Ah, okay. It's pretty good to write novels like that. You must be pretty darn creative, huh? Well, like I said before, you get, you have to be, you know? You have to be. And uh, it's really the only thing I know how to do, so lucky me. Milwaukee we go. Joe's with us, east of the Rockies. Thanks, Joe. Go ahead. Hello, George. Hello, Mac. Hi there. I read Circle Wars. You really did your homework, ghost technology and such, but have you thought about turning it into a video game, then turn the models uh-huh. into a movie? Movie houses gauge how well sales go, so you know, just don't go politics. Have you ever thought about that? Um, you know, it's, it, it's funny. is um, you know People ask me that frequently, and also movies and so on, and um, as the writer, I really don't have uh, that much control over that, to tell you the truth. That's that's like the publisher, and um, uh, the, the you know, because the publisher and I, any book I've done, you know, we're in it together. So what happens is uh, usually, um, you know, video companies or movie companies will eventually make 
the deal with the publisher. And a lot of times the writer is like the last one to know that, you know, some kind of an offer has been made. I think Wingman would make a great video game. Um, you know, it has Probably everything would those video games have. Sure. You know, sure. But uh, it's a long road uh, from that. And uh, as I say, you know, I, I wouldn't necessarily be the first person that would know about it. How many of your 63 books were written on typewriters? Wow, good question. Um, actually, I got an Apple IIe early, early on, where you had to take the disc out and put it back in. Yeah. And they really were floppy. Um, I'm going to say the first probably two books I did, three books I did were on typewriter, and then, thank God, computers. Do, do they even make typewriters anymore? Wait, I don't know. I have my old one. Uh, it's sitting right here in my office to remind me of the old days, but I don't think you can get a typewriter these days unless it's custom-built or something. Keep it. It's probably a classic investment. Yeah, really, for sure. Bill in Columbus, Ohio's with us. Hey, Bill, go ahead. Bill? Yeah, yeah. good evening, gentlemen. Uh, Hi, Bill. Yeah. Hi, Bill. Spears of electro, uh, electromagnetic uh, energy come out of the ground all the time, which uh, appears images or images can be attached to uh, Mac. Uh, what's your thoughts on that? Uh, well, you know, it, it's definitely happened. Uh, people have seen it. Scientific uh, studies have been done on it. Is that, you know, at some point there is um, electromagnetic waves or something along those lines will kind of manifest themselves into what people might think is ball lightning or uh, even just images and so on. Um, I've never seen one, but I've I've actually uh, read a lot about them. And, and the other thing, too, is that as we get more... Um, as our technology gets more elaborate and more widespread, there's just a lot more electromagnetic pulses and signals going around. So it, it's very cluttered, you know. So in that state, I think anything can happen. How much of a scientist did you need to learn, Mac? How much of science in order to write your books? <laughs> I hate to admit it, George, but not not much, you know. Huh. I mean, <laughs> the, the, the whole idea was that, you know, as, as I was growing up, I, I used to read books about military aircraft like um, like there were baseball cards, if you know what I mean. And all that stuff kind of stayed with me. So when I started the Wingman series, and, you know, it's, 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 it has to do almost exclusively with fighter pilots, I kind of already knew all that stuff. Um, you know, it was just in the back of my mind, the general um, information. And then I was just able to go online. Once again, I started writing at the right time when research and resources are kind of right at your fingertips, you know, and you, you didn't have to go to the library every two days and stuff. So, um, again, I was lucky when things started and lucky that I'm able to, you know, have so many resources that I don't have to go anywhere. Let's go to Roger in Thomasville, North Carolina. First time caller. Raj, let's get you in. Go ahead. Hey, George. Um, quick question on a shorter time. Uh, I want to know what you guys thought about Dr. Greer. I've seen him on YouTube a sure. lot. Sure, he's been uh, on our show. He's with me last month, by the way. Okay, and his ideas about uh, the deep state uh, being in charge of reversing alien technology. He's very dedicated, emergency physician who gave up his career to study UFOs. Do you know him, Mac? I've heard the name, but I didn't know uh, the background. That's an interesting background, though, for he, sure. He's done a great job, and he's into it in a big way. He he tried to get a disclosure conference going, and 9-11 happened, so that mm -hmm. screwed that up for him. But, uh, interesting, yeah. He's done, a lot of, he's done a lot of good work for ufology. 
That's good to hear. He's got a movie out. He's got a couple movies out, documentary-type series. He's uh, he's done a lot like that. Sounds great. Now, tell me about your podcast. Uh, well, we have a um, – it was a radio show that turned into a podcast. It's called Mac Maloney's Military X-Files. We're on – now we do a show a week. And, um, you know, it's it's very high energy. It's uh, anyone who hears it will know. And uh, we have a lot of fun doing it. But we, as I said before, what we kind of pride ourselves in is that anyone that we have on who uh, says they're from, used to work for the intelligence agencies, uh, military intelligence or uh, these various kind of private companies that do it, I mean, they really do it. I mean, they're, I've been on shows, other shows, uh, where people claim that they've done this and that, and it turns out not to be true. But Everyone who comes on our show, we make sure, and they're friends of ours anyway, we make sure that uh, what they say actually happened. And um, so uh, that's one good part about that's the part I enjoy. And then we have other uh, segments where we talk about vintage UFO sightings and so on. We have, uh, sometimes we have musical guest rock stars who have seen UFOs. We really run the gambit. We have a lot of fun. Mac Maloney's Military X-Files, it's everywhere. Uh, yeah, how do people find you? Um, you know, we're on podcasts, we're on uh, Apple Podcasts. They just have to really uh, Google Mac Maloney's Military Exiles, and we'll be there. And if they just put your name in, will they find you? Yes, yes, they will. Yep, Mac Maloney, for sure. I love that. And the book's available, Amazon. You can tell us about your website. Uh, the website is just a little bit of everything. You know, we dabble into music every once in a while, but we have the uh, radio show, the podcast, a list of all the books. Uh, there are... Uh, uh, places where people can write and get, the, as we call it, swag from the radio show, all different bumper stickers and things like that. And um, uh, it's, it's pretty interactive. A lot of people go through it and get messages to me. So, you know, it's working. And, you know, my mother was born in Fitchburg. Are you familiar with that? Oh, yeah. I remember we talked about it before. Sure. I'm, yeah. We're on the coast. We're up uh, north of Boston. But when I worked for GE, I went to Fitchburg many times. They have a, a factory there. Great community. Mac, thanks again. Keep in touch with us, okay? We'll do it, George. Thanks very much. We appreciate it. Thank you. You do a great job. A great job indeed. We've got a great series of shows for you still for the rest of the week. And next Monday, folks, it's springtime. For Dan Galante, Donna Walker, Tom Danheiser, Lisa Lyon, Lex Lonehood, Sean LaDessour, Stephanie Smith, Chris Boros, Tim Banal, George Knapp, and Ian Punnett. I'm George Norrie, somewhere out there on Coast to Coast AM. We'll see you on our next edition. Until then, be safe, everyone.